enjoying recording this video on that skyrim date if you remember oh the 11 11 11 11 11 11 and do i like that release date there Uh, there's a a neat bit of like industry law behind the release of skyrim on november 11th in 2011 so it'd been 11 11 11 and to clarify i was gonna say if we're not recording it in november like this is just episode 111 yeah so i was thinking like one 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 and like, what's another thing that happened where it had lots of ones? And it was the release of Skyrim. And do you remember what the... I think we may, I may have mentioned it before, but if you mm. don't recall, I can remind you. Um, I don't recall the significance other than it being, like, just lots of ones. Okay, well, um, prior to the release of Skyrim, every single year in November, that was Call of Duty time. Like, Call of Duty was always the game that released in November. And I believe it was always like the second Friday of November or something like that to, for a yeah. good long period. And it was so consistent uh, that other games were like, fuck, we're not releasing in November because Call of Duty will slaughter us. And mm-hmm. the reason they released in that time, people are wondering, is because it's just enough time um, for them to get a few sales in before Christmas, but then have it established enough that people want to buy it at Christmas Day. So it's not it's close enough to Christmas where people want it as a Christmas present, but far enough away where it's a payday before Christmas so people who want it right then and there can get it then. And as well, like, there's a couple of weeks to get it, like, the the sales in at full price just before Black Friday, where you can, like, presumably, even if it's just, like, take a fiver off. Yeah. So it's, like, one of the best release dates for pieces of media, um, especially video games. And uh, when November 11th, 2011 was coming around, Call of Duty is like, well, we're having that. Like, the marketing rights itself mm-hmm. is one, 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 done. And then Skyrim just comes out and be like, nope, we're doing that. And it was the only, it's the only game to have ever scared Call of Duty off because Call of Duty released, I think, the week before. And if they... I'm not wrong, I think Red Dead 2 also did this. It was an October launch, but I think they like scared even Call of Duty away. And you know a game's going to be good when it's scaring away Call of Duty. And that's the thing is, like, yeah, you know, yeah, Red Dead 2 came out 25th of October 2018. And if I can remember rightly, like, Call of Duty, let. Let's just check, I guess. Call of Duty yeah. 2018, I believe, like moved out of that week. Because they didn't want to compete with it. And it's the same thing with Skyrim, where there's um, a few things popped up of like, here's some like, early marketing material where they put 111 on it, and mm-hmm. they changed it because they didn't want to compete with Skyrim. And it's like, I'm yeah. glad that every now and again, someone can just tell Call of Duty to go and fuck itself. Yeah, Call of Duty came out 12th of October 2018, so like two weeks before, but it's like, you don't fuck with Elder Scrolls. You definitely don't fuck with Rockstar games. Like, yeah, don't don't get in the way of a Rockstar game. Like, Call of Duty is obviously the the most popular, highly selling game franchise every year. But like, yeah, do not get in the way of a Rockstar game. Well, Rockstar is the biggest selling game every ten years. Well, and Grand Theft Auto Five is the highest Still. selling game of all time, I believe now. So have you ever? It's like that meme image, isn't it? Of like the uh, the millionaire's yacht going past the billionaire's yacht, <laughs> yeah. and it's like you might think you're rich, and this fucker rolls up. But yeah, we've got some. It's not big news because it's already happened, but it's something we can actually talk about now, isn't it, Lucas? Well, yeah, we we talked last week. If people listened to uh, one ten about like the upcoming news, and now it's uh, officially launched. It is yes, and what is it that's launched? It's untitled side channel, which doesn't yes. really give away much with the name. But then again, the actual content on the side channel um, is very eclectic, so I think mm-hmm. a very vague name suits it, in a way. Yes, exactly. 
And if anyone's wondering, what is Untitled Side Channel? Well, that's a, a side channel for Fact Fiend showcasing not just um, my stuff, which is what Fact Fiend is. It's everybody um, involved with the channel stuff. So that's Lucas, Nisha, Brad, and myself doing stuff that's not related to Fact Fiend. So uh, just silly little ideas I've had over the years or things I've recorded and never really found a chance to uh, upload or do anything with. Yeah, including like your um, ask kicking athletes of antiquity. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yes, which I'm in the middle of editing right now. And you went, well, let's do the podcast. Okay. I, I need a break anyway, because I've just been editing for like two hours. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I wasn't sure if you're still taking a break because like this weekend was very tiring for us all. It's just this last couple of months because um, we can reveal this now. We've been working on this behind the scenes for about a month and a half. Mm hmm. Um, recording the content for it, but prior to that, it's been like two months of constant discussion about well, what we're going the, to do. Well, since the start of the year, we kind of sat down to start this year, like, things are clearly going in a general direction for Fact Fiend, like, what's going to change? Because clearly yes. something needs to either change or, you know, we need to make some impact on this. Now, I don't really mind talking about this, because, you know, I own the channel outright, so there's mm-hmm. not really anyone going to... I'm not stepping on any toes oh, no, to the, talk about the this. The private investors, what are they going to think, Carl? <laughs> yeah. There's not, like, so... And then again, I've always proud of myself and my transparency. Like, you know, the YouTube channel's not doing as well as it used to do, which is the nature of all things online. You can't avoid losing any sort of momentum online. It just happens. Eventually, it happens to everyone, yeah. Yeah, like, you can go look. There is no YouTube channel that has survived. No piece of media, no, like, piece of content that has survived just doing the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. and maintain the same level of popularity. Eventually, people just fall off or things drop off and the only way to so it's the old thing is that you adapt or you die yeah and, and like, i don't really fancy we, adapting i'm oh, sorry i was gonna say we talk about this a lot with like the youtube landscape because we happen to be on youtube but it's even just look media. at yeah even look at tv shows like how many make how many sitcoms make it past three seasons and whatnot you know uh well it's like even stuff that's continued for literally decades like the simpsons is like nearly three decades old now but The Simpsons ever... isn't the same as what The Simpsons it's was. Exactly, yeah. It's not the same as it once was, and it's certainly not as popular or as well-regarded as it once was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, have you ever seen that great breakdown of just like, here's all the seasons of The Simpsons, and here's their IMDb rankings? Have you ever seen that? Sorry, I just had to clear my throat. I haven't actually okay. seen a proper breakdown. I've just... I've yeah. only gotten, like, you know, a general vibe over the years and, like, what people I know have thought of it. We'll have a look at this. It's about as clear as you're going to get as like a uh, detailed breakdown. And it's just the IMDb scores of uh, every season of The Simpsons. And green means good, red means bad. And weirdly enough, like the grey means garbage. And only out of 31 seasons and what looks like, you know, maybe 600 episodes, there are two Mm. which are rated garbage, which I guess is not a bad output. But you look at... The first nine seasons. And it's just all green. It's mostly like green and yellow with two reds. And then after season 10, it's like all orange and red, which is obviously like a lot worse. The closer you to to red, the worse. And it's just something that if people want to know what I'm talking about, just Google IMDB Simpsons and go on images. And there's a great breakdown somewhere on Reddit did where it's just, and you just look, you can literally see the The, drop off in quality after season nine and 10. There are literally like, the first 10 columns of the first 10 seasons predominantly just yellow and green the next block of like season 11 to 20 predominantly um orange and then season 21 to 31 predominantly red 
So yeah, you can just fight. see a very, very um, significant downtrend in, in scores. Yeah. And that's something like Simpsons has been going on for like 30 seasons, like 30 years. And while it exists in its current form, it does not, while it exists, the Simpsons still technically exists. It's not the same Simpsons we all enjoyed when we were younger. And it's certainly not the same level of quality, even if it was. Or popularity, like there's no zeitgeist around The Simpsons anymore. No, like, The Simpsons isn't defining what culture is now. It's responding to it. And it's mm-hmm. one of those strange things where The Simpsons used to be culture. Now it's reacting to culture. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I don't think we're on the same level as The Simpsons, but I think something that's like, it's just this monolithic pop culture juggernaut. Well, yeah, that's like... the thing is w- when you can compare something as big as The Simpsons and that show was just taking over the planet in the 90s and early mm-hmm. noughties. And like, you can just see a very significant downtrend, even in something that big and popular. Well, it used to be like, you know, the idea of like the water cooler conversation, it was stuff like The Simpsons. And like, you think of all those shows that were water cooler conversation shows, like, you know, Game of Thrones, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Breaking Bad. Like, Breaking Bad, I think, one of the rarest things where it stayed a consistent level of quality. And then it, they stopped because they realised it. We can't keep going. Like that's like yeah, it had some most... ups and downs, but generally, there's I don't think there's a season regarded as being awful or anything. But the important thing to note there is they stopped making Breaking Bad. They stopped making now making um, Better Call Saul, which is the same but different. So they're still making content in the same vein, but they've shifted somewhat. And that's the example I want. Uh, that's that's the thing. The point I'm trying to make, I should say, uh, you can't keep making the same thing and expect the same. Um, no, and results. Even with Battle Call Saul, like I, I've seen a few people talking about Battle Call Saul and saying how incredible it is, and the fact that it's almost top Breaking Bad to me. And that's the thing is that's what people are saying is that is as good. It's on par quality wise with Breaking Bad, but look at the numbers they get. Viewership wise, it's nowhere near what Breaking Bad was because Breaking Bad was on like TV and it's just we're in a different media landscape now which is part of why you know the channel's not doing as well as it once was because the media landscape of YouTube is no longer interested in the kind of content that we produce mm-hmm. as a whole like you don't go onto the front page like we used to have fact theme videos going viral and appearing on the front page of YouTube like every other month yeah and it wasn't like, an like, uncommon occurrence but that doesn't happen anymore and what if you go look at the front page of YouTube it's completely um uh, What's the word I'm thinking of now? Uh, I don't it's know. Un- not unrelatable, unreliable. I'm not sure what you're going for. It, because they're so different. Yeah, yeah. Either way, it's, 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 uh, you can't recognise it as what YouTube was like five years ago. And that's not a good or a bad thing. It's just the way pop culture and media shifts. Like people's interest shifts. Um, and as a result, what the media aimed at them will shift. And it's like, you know, just we're all in our 30s now. Oh, you're not. You're one year off, but we're all in our 30s. No, now. no, I'm, it... I'm 30. I had my 30th oh. in January, didn't I? I? I don't know how old people are anymore. but <laughs> I'm like... essentially like almost a year exactly younger than you. Mm-hmm. So we started making fact feed when I was like in my mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And now I'm 30. So I'm just not the same person I was anymore. That's, that's, that's how things happen. It's like, you know, we're not... I think we're millennials and the next generation. And when we were making content, millennials were generally what like the younger generation was. And now, like, you know, we've got Gen Z coming up, Zoomers, mm-hmm. and that's what culture shifted towards. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's not something I resent. It's like you know they want their culture to do. They want to make their stuff too. Yep, and like uh, you know, it's it's interesting just being on that receiving end of it. And 
you know, obviously thinking back to being in my teenage years and thinking, oh, oh, oh the like, you know, adults don't understand like our generation and our culture and like how we're, you know, communicating via text and stuff and all mm-hmm. of like, you know, the acronyms that we came up with and things and or became popularized around that time anyway. And it's now just funny being on that receiving end where I'm like going through TikTok. It's like, oh, you millennials don't know how to use emotes. And it's like, oh, yeah, that shift is definitely being felt yeah. for sure now. Like there is a clear distinction of like, well, all these, like all the people in a generation below us are now becoming young adults and becoming a, a lot more pervasive. That's and that's not I a don't... problem. It's just, no, you it's... know, the way it is. And I don't claim to speak for anything. I wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. And if content, like, you know, is shifting away from what we produce, that's fine. It's something we all expected. And you can confirm some of the work behind the scenes. It's something I made you abundantly clear of when you joined the channel. Yeah, yeah. And like, I was already aware of kind of, you know, as somebody who's just been watching YouTube channels rise and fall over the years, it's something I was aware of. It's, uh, which is one of the things I feel like I need to clarify multiple times because I am keenly aware that when stuff like this happens with other channels and other pieces of media and just other content creators, there's that thing that occasionally happens where it's like them desperately, desperately clinging to relevance mm-hmm. and getting annoyed about it. And I want to clarify, we're not doing that. We're all happy doing what we do. But there is a like a limit to the amount we can do on our own now. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've set up the second channel and it's funded by a Patreon, a link to which people can no doubt find below. But like whenever... Because that's a thing. Like, you know, privately, I've mentioned this when we had that thing like two years ago now, like the Donald Trump thing. I was like, I need, we need to try and outlast that, um, uh, those kind of fans. So that, that when the contingency of the viewer base, yeah, when the channel ultimately like folds through no, like, you know, because that's just the way like content goes online, they mm-hmm. don't blame it on that. It's like they have already. It's like you shouldn't have told Trump fans to fuck off. It's like we got more viewers from telling Trump fans to fuck off. We actually still get quite decent viewing numbers. It's just the CPM for our videos has gone down. Which yeah. is one of the frustrating things. It's it's one of those things of like, you know, if we had the CPM that we did a year ago, then this would be a lot more sustainable, even with like slightly lower viewership numbers. But Yeah. And CPM it's... people don't know Lucas. Uh you don't I, need to say I, what it I means. don't it's know just... the, what the actual lettering means, but it's essentially the amount of money you earn per thousand views. Yeah, but and it's mm-hmm. dramatically reduced in um, uh, the last couple of years. Um, just, and which is the encapsulation of what we just mentioned there, like YouTube not having as much interest in that kind of content anymore and therefore placing a lower value on it to advertisers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of those things that's annoyed me of like, I thought, well, it's been two and a half years since that happened. We're going to yeah. be all right now. People are just going to realize that it's just the natural progression of all... Uh, it's like, and I got like three or four messages like, this is what you get for telling Trump fans to fuck off. It's like, well, it didn't work, did it? Because you're still here two years later. It didn't, it clearly didn't work because I've still got salty Trump fans hate watching my content. <laughs> well, they don't see it like that, do they? <sighs> oh, did you cough again, Lucas? He's gone muted. He's always oh, typing. Lost my audio. You lost my audio? How did you lose my audio? Okay, well, the, the thing I mentioned is uh, 
just even though like, I thought it'd been two years, I still got when we announced that um, uh, change to the channel, messages from salty Trump fans have been like, this is what you get for telling us to fuck off. It's like, well, it didn't work, did it? Because you're still listening. Mm-hmm. Clearly, me telling Trump fans to fuck off didn't work because I've still got Trump fans <laughs> hate watching the content. But they'll never have that self-awareness to realise maybe it was something else. Mm-hmm. And oh. uh, I did get an amazing bit of feedback that cracked me up. If you saw that? Uh, I might have I might have seen it. I'm not it sure. Was, it's one of my unironically favourite um, uh, sentiments online, which is, go woke, go broke. Oh, get God, woke, yeah. go woke. Yeah. And I love that one. Unironically, well, because it's just that... The suggestion there is that caring about other people is unprofitable. And if that's the case, why would I want to make... Only a cynical, horrible sociopath would want to make content in that landscape. And it's one of those of... I guess they're not wrong, because like not giving a shit about your viewers and just farting out content with as many ads and sponsored slaps all over it and, you know just bending to the will of the algorithm all the time is probably the most profitable thing to do, but it, it is. But that's not what they mean when they no, say they that. No, they don't. They mean like, oh, you say that you um, uh, like, uh, or you you like and support minority groups? Fuck you! Yeah, what the the subtext behind the feedback there is, with which they don't want to admit is, you saying that human rights matters actively means that your channel has died because of it. I want you to suffer financial hardship for showing support for minority groups. Mm-hmm. Which that that's a hundred percent what they mean without wanting to say it, as I say. But because if they said it out loud, they seem like the asshole. Mm-hmm. And even though like it's a pretty assholeish thing to say anyway, of like wishing people would like financial hardship. But I unironically love that sentiment because it's just. If you break it down, what they're really saying is just like caring about other people is unprofitable online. Yeah. It's like, well, it might be less profitable, but I'd rather still give a shit about people's rights. Yeah, and that's the thing. If if the way to be profitable was to not care, I wouldn't want to work in this industry. Mm -hmm. So it's, like I said, I think only a sociopath could work under those conditions of like actively disenfranchised, knowing that they are as well. It's either you've got to be an idiot or a sociopath, mm-hmm. which I think describes a lot of like those weird alt-right people who like bandy this phrase around unironically. Yeah. If they are like either too stupid to realize what the, like the damage their words can cause is, or they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And I think we've mentioned multiple times, like I wish that I didn't care because I'd be a much wealthier man. I was going to say, yeah, like, you know, Generally speaking, being an asshole is more profitable. I just, it's... I'd rather also have morals and look back at my life thinking, at least I tried to be nice. It's the, uh, that statistic about like CEOs, isn't it? Of like a greater than average percentage of the normal population of CEOs um, have sociopathic or psychopathic tendencies. Mm-hmm. And then it's that thing of like, wow, does that mean that psychopath? Uh, being a CEO makes you a psychopath? It's like, no, it's that having psychopathic and sociopathic tendencies means you're more likely to succeed in business because you're more able to step on or over other people without giving a fuck. Yep. Like, it always gets, like, it's one of those things that like, gets framed the wrong way all the time. Like, wow, all CEOs are psychopaths. Like, no, all psychopaths. More psychopaths are CEOs. Yeah, it's one of those things of you look at, the career path of many CEOs and 
generally speaking, a lot of the more successful ones, there's a lot of skeletons in their closet because they've spent years just stepping on people to get to that position. You only have to look at um, like Elon Musk. Is like I think today he was crowned the richest man ever mm-hmm. in human history. Uh, so I like, eat a dick. Um, uh, I forget the name, like uh, Marcus or Elias Crassus or whatever the fuck it was. Oh, I thought you were just going to say Jeffrey Bezos. Eat a dick him as well. They can all eat a dick. They're all rich and they're all they all suck. Mm-hmm. But like just all the not even like the big things he's done, just the little stories of how he interacts with people on the day to day. Of just like it is clear indication that he does he fundamentally does not care about people. Right, yeah. Like stuff like just telling firing people on a whim for getting in his way. And things yeah. like that. And like you, you truly have to just be a complete and utter sociopath to not give a shit about doing stuff like that. Or have like sociopathic that. tendencies. Mm-hmm. Because and that's the thing. It's similar to in these. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, like, think about it for one second. He's got to just completely not see that other person that he's fired as like essentially a human being to be mm-hmm. able to be that crass. Well, that's the thing as well. Like, if you, the moment you start seeing that person as a human being, it becomes a lot more difficult to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Like making decisions. It's like the same thing with like um, uh, people in charge of countries and things like that. There has to be a little bit of you that doesn't care about people. Like you can care about people in a macro sense, but on the individual scale, mm-hmm. you just have to not care. Yep. Some of you may die, but it's a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah, because you're making decisions like that actively cause people pain. You, it's just. They have the ability, more than more so than others, to make decisions like that without considering the human element. Well, how it's many something that we all do on a day to day basis, but they do it in a much more visible and visual way, and that their choices actually do have the ability to change the end result. Whereas ours won't, like you know, we go buy clothes that we know are cheap, and we like we know in our head that you know there's no ethical consumption of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Someone suffered to make those products available to us, but of course, yeah. You always have that thing where you can justify it to yourself. Or like, what can I, random person on the street, do? But when you're like the CEO of a multi-billion-dollar company, or you run an entire country, that little voice in your head should be a lot louder, and it should be saying, "You, you can do something because you're in charge." When you, but then you have to not care. Vote to not support children having free lunches over Christmas and letting kids starve. I think that's a bit more important than being like. Yeah, I should probably buy like a more ethical pair of jeans. Or I should like, I should get eggs that are like free range, but they cost like two pounds more. And I've only got, and my heating bill went up by 600 quid. Last thing is like, you know, I I do buy free range eggs, but yeah, it's it's a very small change to make that costs like a lot of money over time, but it's a lot harder to do, as you say, when the government are like, fuck it, all your bills are doubling. Yeah, but like, uh, bring it back to YouTube, you can see like examples of that on YouTube where the people at the very, very tippy top, like they clearly do not give a fuck mm-hmm. because that's how you get to that point. Like they don't see their audience as individuals, they see it as numbers on a screen. Yeah. And it's numbers on a screen. That's, uh, they're very similar in a way to people who run businesses because that's how businesses see. They don't see in terms of the human cost. They see numbers on screen, profit. Well, at that point, they are the yeah. running a business. And you've got to respect them for it. And you know what? Big Wangers Inc. is a business. And this business, we're going to start doing that. We're all in this together. Everybody can be our best friend. Uh, I think we get away with those when Big Wangers Inc. is for people. 
Because <laughs> our YouTube channel is four people, and like I am genuinely, it's one of those things I never considered. So we can talk about all this stuff now. Yeah, I'd never considered like how small our group is. Mm-hmm. Like the the people making vaccine videos. Cause I, if you watch the videos, it's, you know, it's two or three people. And there's been a couple of like um, uh, guest stars over the years who had like you know friends of ours and just random stuff like that. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's consistently been almost every video a conversation between two people. Mm-hmm. And those conversations have involved the same four people for about five years now. And maybe people don't know this, but all the content as well is written by me. Every Fact Fiend article is one written by myself. And the Wiki Weekends, like, I guess they're they're not written by me, but like all the interesting and fun stuff in those is our own jokes and observations and things. Yeah, like the the idea behind Wiki Weekends is focus more on the two people involved in the conversation and the like the humor and the tangents that they can go off rather than what the fact is very important you know because the fact is still important to a fact fiend article Mm -hmm. um and a fact fiend video but i'd say wikis was more a way to to make the personality a bigger part of the the whole process yeah, but I just wanted to clarify that because whenever I say that I write everything on Fact Fiend, I always get some, what about Wiki Weekends? I obviously don't mean that. I'm speaking generally, dickhead. Yeah, so all uh, of the Fact Fiend articles are written by Carl, and then all of the videos are taken away and edited by one of the three people who edit them. And that really surprised me. And it's one of the things I'm really proud of, that like, we've had three people who've never felt that pinch of, like, you know, because realistically... Um, I could have just hired because I've had many a person reach out to me over the years about I'll edit your videos for twenty quid and it's like mm-hmm. no, I don't want to do that I want to like use Fact Fiend as an opportunity to like help my friends earn a decent wage for something they're passionate about I don't want to like even though that would have saved me um, tens of thousands of pounds over the years same thing like I could have farted out all my article writing to people because I've had people offer to do it for free yeah of course yeah if I had like you know less morals about me They'll I could have just got people to fart out. Yeah, I could have got people to fart out free articles for me, or rather than doing any research myself, just had a thread and like suggest send me ideas you want covered, and not even bother to do any of my own research. But I've always felt I've always done all my own research, always done all my writing. You guys have always done all the editing. You've been compensated as fairly as it's possible for me to do so for it. Yeah, and it's just it's just four say people. Very fairly, yeah, four people. And that's the thing is, you can see a lot of the time where yeah, channels get bigger and they do do a lot of that and whether they do it in a good way or a bad way a lot of people do like well i'm gonna hire a couple of researchers a couple of editors a couple of writers um a couple of like artists or get like thumbnails made on fiverr and stuff like that i've, and I've seen it yeah there's a, a couple of like, content creators that i used to follow it gets to the point where some and quite a, quite a lot of faces behind a youtube channel and somebody who started the channel in the first place gets to the point where essentially all they are is like a voice on the channel because they're not actually doing most of the work anymore. Yeah, a figurehead on how it were. And it's the mm-hmm. couple of content creators I follow where I've seen that. And it's like, on one hand, good for them for getting to a point where you can do this. But just, I think there's something that often gets brought up is like there's a, 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 an air of the authenticity like that is lost. I mean, when yeah, you, when for you sure, know the person, When you know the person's not using their, saying their own words... At, at the same time, I fully respect it. Like, because you go live that best life and earn money while of course, yes. making your job a lot easier. And fuck it, if you can do it, do it. Like, I don't begrudge people for being like, yeah, I want to 
make my life easier and give my workload out to other people as long as you're compensating them fairly. Mm-hmm. It's just the thing for me of like what attracted me to the content was the authenticity, and now that's gone. Mm-hmm. Like it's it feels sterilized in a way, like very um, uh, streamlined and just hyper focused in on uh, creating the content. And um, even we like had you know little bits of feedback like that where we shortened the videos and got rid of like tangents at the end and stuff mm-hmm. to try and cater ourselves to the YouTube algorithm a bit more when things started dropping view wise and you know we did see some of that feedback and that's kind of where part of this side channel came in into play is like well that isn't working out and we can see like some of the longer like time viewers have started to miss that stuff and give us that feedback and maybe this isn't the way we should go maybe we should sit down and and we start adding those back in now and we've got the untitled side channels are like a new endeavor to try and alleviate some of the problems yeah and it's a showcase of everyone's personality which is i'd hope the draw the channel in addition to the facts Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just one of those of like well we tried doing it the youtube way youtube gave us a big middle finger so we've changed we've put back in the stuff that we removed that people have liked and now we've got the untitled side channel to yeah showcases all as you say admittedly we should have seen that come in we should have predicted that youtube <laughs> would give us a middle finger yes yeah it's like it's not gone well for youtube like, it's really really poor it is it's 2022 now looking back to 2020 <laughs> like, that was a bad joke it was. To find more bad jokes like this, follow us on the uh, <laughs> Untitled Side Channel support us on the Patreon. Yeah, so that's the thing we haven't mentioned is uh, the Untitled Side Channel is completely demonetized. There are no ads and sponsors in the videos. It's all uh, crowdfunded through Patreon to help us, like, you know, get through these these slightly tougher times on the YouTube game. Yeah, and the idea behind that is... Um, uh... If we put ads in it, it just feels bad. Like that's my idea. So that's um, stayed since the very origins of the channel. Mm-hmm. Of just we're gonna have one ad, and if it's funded by fans, then we're not gonna have ads. Yeah, it's that simple. And we've already had people complain about that. Like put ads in it. It's like well, the whole point is that it's free without ads. That way we can create content that we want without worry that it's going to upset YouTube. Like half the reason that fact fiend had that choice because we kept rubbing against um, uh, YouTube's um, copyright systems, mm-hmm. which was getting videos demonetized, which was lowering our videos in search rankings. And we had to delete them, which was like getting rid of um, uh, like viewership numbers and things like that. Without having to worry about that, we are free to create the content that we want using um, and talk about things that we want to. Cause, like, For example, you want to talk about like, anime, don't you? Yeah, like I, I want to focus um, down on like anime and gaming. Because there's no fucking way we could do it on the main channel without ev- that exactly. whatever video we release, like, we have to look at that and go, well, that's not making any money. And therefore, it's really hard to justify paying someone to edit a video I know is going to make zero pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas on Untitled Side Channel, because it's funded by Patreons, you can make whatever you want and you'll take your wage from that, not your wage, but your cut, which has been split four ways for anyone was wondering, like evenly between everybody, regardless of how well or um, poorly their content does. Hopefully, not the, the latter. And the, uh, hopefully more the former, but just on the off, mm-hmm. you don't have to feel pressured to make content that's... Now, if one video that you want to try out doesn't do well, then there's no pressure on that. Yeah. It's, like, it's, just... it's an avenue to all have to not worry about 
you know, analytics, just make content that we like and hopefully that'll shine through and, you know, people all, all will enjoy it and hopefully as well as enjoying it, maybe we can uh, we can start getting some decent views eventually on there as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously I don't, I'm not saying that like the, I think we, we've got around 13,000 subs at the moment and I don't want to make anyone like, feel shitty by being like, oh, they're not decent views and stuff. It's like, it's much appreciated, but obviously we're just used to like getting getting more views than that on Fat Fiend and, and stuff. So I don't say that as if like begrudging people for not getting as many views, but. It's just all build up. It's, a, it's weird times. Now, I'm not really sure how to feel about it because you know, as someone knows me, like privately, I've just been so stressed for the last month. And just after mm-hmm. we did that, that big live stream announcing it, I just sat down and went, oh. That was it. That was just like the most catharsic moment I've had in a while. Or just that complete, just, oh, because I didn't realize how stressed I was worrying about it. Yeah, because like, it's just, you know, launching a new channel, launching a Patreon, all this. It's, it can be like, it can be stressful and it was stressful on all of us. And it's just one of those, uh, one of those things of, uh, you know, we launched the Patreon, the launch went well, the channel went well, feedback has been really good so far. Like, mm-hmm. it's that nice moment of, like, okay, panic a bit less now. Like, things aren't, like, you know, the ship isn't sinking as fast as we thought. <laughs> and for anyone that has supported us so far, like, thank you very much. It's it's really appreciated, even if it isn't monetarily through Patreon, just subbing, watching, liking the videos, commenting on them, like anything like that always always mm-hmm. helps out, even if you're yeah. just enjoying the content. And the one thing I want to address is that like, it's you know, she never focused on the negatives, but it's one that just stuck out to me of just emblematic of the fact that it's very difficult when you're a content creator to ever create anything new because people always want you to do the old thing. And it's the yeah. same is true of all people who make any sort of content, like mu- musicians, like, oh, I've got a new album, but I like your old one. Make make it sound like you're, it sounds too new, I don't like it. When people and go to, like, out. gigs and it's like, oh... Play your old stuff, play your old why stuff. Why aren't you playing the stuff. classics? We don't like your new album. It's like, but, okay. And uh, you mentioned I've asked Kicking Athletes of Antiquity, which is a series that I used to work on many, many years ago as an article series. Mm-hmm. And then I turned it into a book when the website I wrote for went under. And I've been periodically working on that book. Like It's one of those things that I'll probably never release it. One, because I think we've missed the boat on people giving a fuck about books written by people who write fact listicles. Mm. And two, because in my head, it'll never be done. There's always going to be an extra thing I can add to it, or there's a line I can make funnier, or a joke that can be just a little bit tightly written, or more tightly written. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But I thought, well, I can at least turn some of them into video entries, because... That they're an interesting idea, they're well researched. I'd like to say, and it's you know, it's, I want to get use out of this thing that I've spent years working on. Mm-hmm. So I made a couple of videos of that, and the first one went live a couple of days ago. And I was looking at the numbers, and just the first bit of feedback I saw is, it'd be really great if you could make this talking about if you could talk about this with the rest of the channel. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like here's this new thing I've been working on, and it says in the description is like an idea that I've really wanted to talk about for a long time. It's like, but make fact theme videos though. Mm-hmm. Even though fact theme videos are still being made. Yeah, and to clarify that... everything is like fact theme videos would we're still having releases like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Exactly. So it's not being impacted at all. The the channel's gonna be run the exact same, like it's gonna be that 
channel is still going to be like with one ad it's not going to be supported on the patreon like that way the the patreon's like a, a subsidy essentially to fat fiend mm-hmm. and but just that thing of just i'll be honest mate it really fucking got me yeah i was just there and i went i've worked so hard on this mm-hmm. this is an idea of mine i've had for literally and the first thing i think is what make fat fiend videos though it's like i still am yeah here's a new thing if you don't like it you don't have to watch it and the guy's like no it's why can't you just make more fact theme videos? It's like we are. No one's watching. Them. We tried making new fact theme videos and <laughs> making four or five a week, and it didn't go that well. So uh, that's why we're here but, trying out new things. And ooh, that's why I've had the last couple of days off because just little things like that. They just go, I just went. I can't. I need mm. to like you know to reset, re-energize because shit like that is gonna like send me. And that's the thing as well that a lot of people have to remember is that you know, making one type of content for years on end as creative individuals can be um, really, like, just... I don't even know what the right word is, just... Draining. Just draining, yeah, and, like, you see that's why people make like end up with a lot of burnout on, on these channels because the YouTube algorithm tends to favour you sticking to one thing, but as a creative individual, like, that's the last thing most creative people want to do. Just keep doing the same thing over and over again. We do try and mix it up a little bit because that's why, like, you know, every conversation is improvised. And I feel like if we weren't, if we didn't have the improvisational aspects of Fact Fiend, we would have burned out a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But because it's improvised and it's a conversation between friends, I'm never going to get tired of talking to my friends. No, that part of the, the job is, like, still entertaining and fun. It's just more that, like, you know, stick into one type of conversation and stick into one type of like um format with a video and stuff it can just start instead of like being a challenge it can just become a bit like you know um it feels a bit more like a nine to five kind of job where you're just doing the same thing every day especially when you get that thing though if you try the one time you try and branch out is like i don't like it do so do the same thing again. do the same thing again like say the line but I only want to see the same thing you've already done a dozen times before. Just that, that one. That, that was that a good day. That was forever that was and ever is like the ultimate line, isn't it? Of just, just say, say the, the line. line. And that that episode is perfect as well. People don't know. Simpsons are always so great for this. So I think we mentioned it last week with the what? As a loyal fan, I feel like they owe me. Mm-hmm. There's the other one, the say the line Bart, which is where Bart becomes famous because he says, "I didn't do it." And this was a self-referential one to the fact that Bart Simpson merch was fucking everywhere. So yeah. I didn't do it. And it's just everyone keeps saying, say the line, Bart. And all they want Bart to say is just say, I didn't do it. And then by the end of the episode, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. He says it and people don't laugh. And he and gets completely thing. drained by saying it over and over. He's like, but I'm more than just this one line. Like, let me do other things. Yeah. Everyone's like, no, Bart, do the one thing that you're known for. And then eventually it's like, Bart, you weren't funny because you kept doing the same thing that you were known for. It's like such a perfect example of like the fickleness of audience. Like they demand that you only give them the same thing over and over again, and then get sick of it and blame you. Yeah. And it, like, but every time I tried to do something new, you complained. Well, that's not my fault. It is just that episode has really, if, if anything, gotten better over time than than uh, worse. But yeah, it's just always stood out to me as like. Man, this was such a strong episode of The Simpsons, and it holds up so well. Say the line, Bart. Yay! (laughs) 
And the thing is, like, it works amazingly as a meme format. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, like, one of my fa- it's one of my favorite meme formats of just that, here's how I paid off my uh, mortgage in five years. <laughs> and it's just, say the line. First of all, my parents gave me a loan of 200 grand. Yeah! yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Every single time. Mm-hmm. It's the best. And, like, I hope that newspapers, as they flounder for relevancy, continue to write articles like that, not realising <laughs> that fucking everybody hates them. Yeah. And if you, is there any examples of that spring tracks? I know they're very difficult to like recall exact details of, but it's such a specific format of article where it's like so some, usually mid-twenties, knobhead from London telling you about how they paid off their mortgage in five years, and it's always they had rich parents or inherited a house. Well, the one that got me not long ago was one TikTok going around where it was like, okay, somebody breaking down. Well, if you didn't buy that Starbucks every day, oh, fuck you would it, save yeah. yourself like that $4, and then that $4 over the space of five years would be enough to buy yourself a deposit for a house, and then... Like, people broke it down and was like, it'd get you, like, a few grand, but it wouldn't get you, like, the 50 grand you need for a deposit on a decent house, like... Yeah, that one was... I think it was Kirsty Alsop recently. She's like, so let's break that down, because that was an amazing story, and we didn't cover I that. I think that happened. one was a different one, but she had a similar a kind okay. of mindset, yeah. The Kirsty Alsop one sent me of, like, absolutely fuck and, off. And do you know what my favourite bit about it was? So we just collaborate. Like, we've got Kirsty Olsop, mm-hmm. um, who I think she does location, 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 and she is a self-professed expert on how to buy a house. And she had an interview where she was talking about young people being priced out of the housing market, mm-hmm. which is a very real issue that a lot of people. Like, I'm currently struggling with that. Of like, I legitimately don't think I'll be able to ever get a house. It's not hard to look at the price of a house fifty years ago, where they were ten grand, and go, oh, now. A new first time buyer needs two hundred grand, or you know, deposit and extra costs and stuff. So realistically, like thirty grand just to have the chance to get a mortgage. Yeah, and we have a great one here, and you can tell this is like the depending on which kind of website you click on, you get a different um, uh, title. And this one is from Manchester Evening News, so like you know, working class city, mm-hmm. very northern. Kirsty Allsop, whose family helped buy her first property, says young people can afford a home if they give up coffee, gym, and Netflix. <laughs> and it's this it's an, a sentiment we've heard expressed a dozen times before, and it's always incredibly insulting. Of like, if you don't buy these minor luxuries that help you get through your life, mm-hmm. you can afford to buy a house. And the the first counter to that is. Um, because inflation is so poor at the moment, money saved actually loses value over time. Someone did a workout of like, if you manage to save 10 grand a year, mm. if you manage to cut out all your luxuries and save 10 grand, by the following year, that 10 grand would have the buying power of nine grand. And a deposit is like 50 grand to get like an average price house. So not only would you not have enough money to get deposit, you've lost out on every luxury you have and the money you did save has less buying power. Mm-hmm. You might, When you look at something like that, you might as well just spend it on the luxuries. If, you, if you're not going to be able to buy a house anyway, why not enjoy your life now? Yeah. And the idea that all you have to do to earn a house is just never enjoy your life. It's like, alright, I, I guess I could never leave the house and only 
you know, live off the essentials for 10 years and get a house eventually, but then I've, like, wasted 10 years of my fucking life. Yeah, and this thing, you shouldn't have to do that. You shouldn't no, exactly. have to sacrifice that... everything to have a place to live. That was n- that was not how it used to be. People didn't go without any luxuries 30 well, years ago to buy the house. Kirsty Olsock, so we have a quote from her here. She says she feels enraged. Oh, it's relocation, relocation, relocation. So it says... Um, I feel enraged when youngsters claim they cannot afford to buy a home. She advised that first-time buyers move in with their parents or find homes up north in cheaper areas to afford their lifestyle while saving for a deposit. So that's the thing. When your solution is either move in with your parents, and that's not an option everybody has, nope. so we can write that off straight away. Mm-hmm. I couldn't move back in with my parents. There's not space. They can't afford to put me up. That's the thing. Also, is like I, I, when I was unemployed, lived with my parents after uni for like, uh, about 18 months but yeah even then it was like difficult on them and i i left as soon as i could to try and you know alleviate the pressure on them it says here that um also like moving up north so the like that i hate that slight dig about well the north's cheap it's shit up there mm-hmm. so if you want to buy a nice house down south maybe slum it up north for a bit it's like fuck you also when you're acknowledging that it is impossible to live in one of these cities and save up to buy a house in it yeah that's not a good stalwart defense of the housing market anyway. Um, and she says here, when I bought my first property, going abroad, the EasyJet, coffee, gym, Netflix lifestyle didn't exist, she told the Times. Okay. Is, are you ready, Lucas? I used to walk to work with a sandwich, and on payday I'd go for a pizza and to a movie and buy myself some lipstick. So what she's saying there is, when I was saving for a house, I'd like you know occasionally buy myself a luxury, like a pizza or a movie or, you know, some lipsticks and some cosmetics for myself, but then she's shitting on young people for like buying coffee, gym, and Netflix. You don't need to do that. Do what I did and buy yourself food and entertainment. Like, what do you think Netflix is? Also, uh, it's, it's cheaper. The, the weird thing to me, the one that really stands out is the gym, where it's like people trying to be healthy and have like so improve their mental health. Yeah. What makes this really funny is Lucas. When I bought my first property, um. And all I need to do, I'm just going to look up the name of her dad. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to read out his name. Actually, I should say his name and his title. So her dad is called Charles Olsop, the sixth Baron of Hindlip. Yeah. And he owns, like, I think her mother was like, he has something to do with Christie's as well, the auction house. Mm-hmm. And like, there's an article about him where he had to sell his second home for like five million because he didn't he couldn't afford to live in it anymore. Come on, millennials. Yeah, but look, when I bought my first house with help from my parents, like, that's the thing. She could go live in a she lived in a parent's second house essentially. It's really not hard for us all to just be born like you know, like with parents who are fucking barons and own millions of pounds. It's not hard. Why didn't we all just do it? Why didn't we think of that? What makes this really funny as well? Because she was like um, defending this. I was misquoted. Like they misquoted me to like create a uh, drama against me. And then every time she was asked, well, what did you actually say? I was misquoted. Well, what did you actually Mm -hmm. say? Because if you're saying that they're misquoting you, that's a really big claim. You should like, you know, get compensation for that. If if anything, you should be like suing them for libel. Yeah, like, what is it you actually said? And she refused to acknowledge what she actually said. Because if you're saying that they 
have turned the public against you, then yeah, if that's from a misquote, you should be suing them. Because that you're you're a celebrity and your public image is important and part of your value. So if you really thought you were that misquoted, you would have done something about it. But no, she just kept complaining that I've been misquoted, I've been misquoted, I've been misquoted, but then refused to um, uh, clarify what mm. it is you've been misquoted about and what is it you actually said. Yep. And generally speaking, people are misquoted tend to try and, you know, get what they actually said out in the open as quickly as possible, rather than just cowering behind this shit line. It's just, come on. Either way, whether you said that exact thing or not, your sentiment was millennials need to just get good and buy a house. Yeah, and then one of the things she said in, like, when people put that point out, like, your dad is a baron. It's like, well, just because my dad's rich and famous doesn't mean I don't understand the uh, the struggle to get on the property ladder like other people. It's like, yes, it does. Yes, it does. It actively <laughs> means that you don't understand the struggle that regular people have to go through. Just yeah. the, the, the audacity of people assuming that everyone can stay with their parents as long as possible. Like, that alone pisses me off because a lot of people, especially a lot of working class people, do not have that privilege. And it's just, all you need to do is just save while you live with your parents. It's like, what if I can't live with my parents? That thought doesn't even cross their mind. It angers me. It really does. We have a quote from her here. Um, I bought my first home at the age of 21 with family help. So I don't want to belittle those people. Help. I don't want to belittle those people who can't do it, but there are loads of people who can do it and don't. It is hard, but we can. We fall into the trap of saying it's impossible for everybody. It's about where you can buy, not if you can buy. There's an issue around the desire to make those sacrifices. Do you think she had to make those sacrifices no. when a uh, when house price? It's also worth pointing out as well when she bought a house. Um, it was fifty. The average price was fifty thousand pounds, which adjusted for inflation is about one hundred and twenty thousand mm-hmm. today. The average price of a house today is two hundred and fifty thousand. There you go. So she bought a house when houses were literally half the cost they are now with mm-hmm. family help. Why can't we all do that? And like you know, I'm sure there is a small percentage of people in like you know our age or younger that did have well-off parents and didn't take advantage of that and go and like make something of themselves and buy a house. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are some people that are like that, but the majority of people are not. Most people aren't in a position to buy a house because they just aren't. Yeah. Not because they didn't Joe, want to. Just speaking of the meme here, I've got like just an example or two of them. So we have here an article. Um, I saved over $100,000 in just three years by the time I was 27. Here are my top money-saving tips. And we have a a singled-out paragraph here. Saving that much money was no walk in the park, but I was lucky to have the support of my mother, who worked tirelessly to pay off all four years of my private college tuition. Roughly $35,000 a year. And it's just summed up here of, uh, I saved 100k by having my mum give me 140,000k. Wait, what? So she didn't even save money, she just got... She didn't spend all of the money that her mum gave her? No, her mum just paid off her student loans. It's like... Dear, dear me. Did I feel good? It just... Oh, it's bizarre. It's like... I've just got... They don't live in the same world as we do, and I hope this type of article never, ever stop 
be uh, starts being um, uh, relevant. You know what I think we should start doing though. I think we should start also pointing out the journalists who think this shit is worth publishing. Oh yeah, we have another one here, another quote from uh, someone like giving some great advice on how they save money. I gave up my rental in the summer of 2020 and moved back in with my parents, so I saved a lot for six months. I'd be paying 1800 a month in rent and utilities. I also had help from my parents and grandparents who contributed $100,000 towards the down payment of my new home. Fuck my life. So that's the thing, like, it's not just moving in with the parents. Like, okay, that's an option. Not everyone, but but quite a fair a few amount out. of people have the the ability to move in with parents. Not not all, as I was mentioning earlier. But yeah, like that that advice can apply to some people. But then it should, they always have to throw in that thing. Then like, and do you know like when a kid? Because this is like the way these people think. They think like you know they are children. Mm-hmm. Um, when a a kid gets like a tenner for their birthday, mm-hmm. and they want to buy a PlayStation, and you go with a till. And the parent puts down 300 quid and the kid hands up their tenner. And the kid's like, I bought this. I helped buy it. And it's like, <laughs> realistically, no, you didn't. But you feel like you did because you contributed this token amount. Mm-hmm. But then the, you age the person up 25 years and then they write an article about how they actually know totally really did do it. Yeah. So have we got anything else that's less depressing to talk about this week? <laughs> I just really, really like that one. I like I, I like it and then I think about it for a minute and I'm like, these so knobheads get to have a house and I have to sit there playing like some fucking landlord rent every month. No, they probably are your landlord though. Mm-hmm. If you want to feel better, like I can, there's a similar story to this where it's like someone getting a hilarious comeuppance. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, remember, do you remember the pandemic, Lucas? Um, I, I've heard. You're familiar with it. Okay, well, during the pandemic, um, there was just a, a, a general upheaval of all life on the planet. Mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say. Yeah. And one of the things that got absolutely fucked by the pandemic was Airbnb. But not, not just Airbnb, specifically people who own multiple properties and exclusively use them for Airbnb. So are you aware of the, the problem that Airbnb has caused in some cities? Uh, that so many rich people are just buying up all of the apartments to rent out rather than like yes. actually letting people buy housing, yeah. Yeah, and specifically rent them out on Airbnb because um, in some major cities it is more profitable to rent out a, an apartment as an Airbnb once or twice a week than it is to rent it long term. Um, to someone who actually needs it. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, during the pandemic, there were a lot of cases of like all these Airbnbs, or all, no one's going anywhere, refund all your money. And then you have these cases of people who have multiple properties that are now sat empty. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they'd have like a long term tenant, they'd still be getting money. But now they've got Airbnbs and they're left shit out of luck. Yeah. And there was one story, and the exact details I'm not able to properly recall. There was a guy who's like, oh yeah, uh, he was one of those like, knobheads who was like, oh, I've got a great idea. And it's probably a critical, but I'm going to choose to think that it's real because it involves a person getting at the comeuppance. And it was basically the story was a guy bought um, a, a house with his like student loan or something like that. Okay. And then he immediately, immediately flipped it and turned it into an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they took all that money and then just kept flipping to get deposits on all these houses. Right. So they got so they basically bought all these shitty apartments and flipped them all and then put them as Airbnbs and collected all that money and paid off their mortgages. Mm-hmm. 
and then the pandemic happened and they were slapped with like now you owe 15 grand in rent so they were like basically like buying and illegally subletting a bunch of apartments yeah yeah yeah. as airbnbs and then it's like okay and they were apparently a huge dick about it the entire time look how much money i've got then the pandemic happened it's like all right 15 grand in rent for these like 12 houses you've put um, a two-year lease on yep and then you had all that stuff like office space and that wasn't it or all these uh, giant businesses who like leasing office space of like do you know it's i really think it's time we get back to the office right now <laughs> it's like how far are you go and fuck yourself like, yeah you would say that wouldn't you yeah as an office i think it's one that you got me with is it was talking about gyms and it's like as a, as a gym owner i feel like it's time to get everyone back in the gym again it's like <laughs> maybe you're coming at this from like a biased viewpoint now perspective no? So as a property owner, That's, as a landlord, as a YouTuber, I think it's about time that everyone starts watching fat fiend videos. <laughs> I do think the thing is, I don't. You don't want to watch it. You don't want to watch it. I, say, I'm, I don't really. No, I, I, care's I, probably the wrong word, but I don't mind. I know, understand that it's not for everybody, but that's essentially the same mindset, isn't it? Like, yeah. As somebody that would profit off you all doing what I say, I think you should all do what I say. Mm-hmm. I have uh, seen some screaming hissy fits um, from other content creators that I follow and or know mm. um, when stuff like this happens to them and I've just endeavoured like just, I'm going to bow out with some dignity like, it's better to fade away than burn out but you know if you'd like to uh, help us stick around a bit longer you can go help now, if you out want to, if you want me to burn out then subscribe to the Patreon because as long as we make your money I've got to keep doing it so if you want to contribute to my eventual mental breakdown, support us on Patreon so that I feel obligated to keep making content. Let's do well, it. Well, I mean, the entire point of the Untitled Side Channel is that we, we have these extra creative endeavours that hopefully means we're less likely to burn out. Oh, no, I can't wait. It's going to happen. I can't wait till one day you just get a message from me like, I'm done. Done. And I'll definitely need people's help on Patreon. Like, Fact Fiend, it's yours now. Deal with it. <laughs> Taking my cup. So like sad Hulk music starts playing. Dun, 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 dun. That's Mad World, isn't it? That's not the whole thing. But I, I, I couldn't obviously tell you what that was, to be honest. That's fair. I'll tell you what then, Lucas. Let's, you know, since we're on the topic of just like things fading away and uh, not and not knowing the future for certain, what would be your ideal way for YouTube, like your YouTube career, to like fizzle out and end? And what would be your ideal way for it to end? Like, well, let's let's do this. I don't know. You don't know. Like, would you want to like just have one massive viral? Like, would you want to be a one-eight wonder? No. So that I think be for the me, worst it'd... way to go. Or just have one viral video, make a shit ton of money, and then never have to. No, do it again. because then I'd be known as that one guy, like the guy with that one video. That's fair. Yeah. Like, I'd hate that following do... me around. So I think we've talked about that before. It's like the people from the memes back in the day and that, there are people I genuinely feel sorry for mm-hmm. of like all the people from those meme reaction images like overly attached girlfriend and bad luck Brian and stuff like that where mm-hmm. they went viral became some of the most well known people on the planet but lacked the ability to monetize that fact because that just wasn't a thing then like cameo and YouTube and stuff wasn't really as popular as it was so they basically got all of the downsides of being notorious and well-known online with none of the positives. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about when they tried like to make their own videos, coasting on the fact that they are known for this one thing and they were awful. Yeah. 
They did. They didn't get famous because they were creative or interesting. Anyway, it was just like one of those serendipitous things that happens online sometimes where people latch onto a particular image mm-hmm. and attach this meaning to it. And they tried to live up to the characters that had been given to them by the internet that didn't necessarily represent who they were as people. Yeah. I think the Bad Luck Brian one's probably the worst for that. So do you know the story behind Bad Luck Brian? Uh, I mean, I know which image you mean. Yes. So, you know, you can picture the image in your head, can't you? It's like the guy with like the, the red really... guy with the cringy smile. The awkward smile. Well, do you know the story behind how that happened? No. Uh, well, if you go look at pictures of the guy in real life, and when he did like his YouTube videos and stuff like that, which are awful and not funny, don't watch them, folks at home, mm-hmm. he looks nothing like that. And that's because that was a deliberate piss take. Oh, it was like his school right. picture day. And what he did is um, he rubbed his cheeks for about five minutes before he went on, wore the stupidest outfit he could, and did that awkward smile on purpose. So he mm. deliberately made himself look like an idiot. Uh, as a joke, okay. which is why he looks nothing like the image does in real life. Yeah, to be fair, I've just I've just done a quick Google and it's like, yeah. Like he doesn't actually look like that. So he purposely made himself look awkward and um, uh, like red-faced and just nervous. But that's not what his personality is in real life. So when he was making, like, trying to capitalize mm. on his, like, fame, as you know, I think, no, he's, he's, he's fucking right. Like, his image got shared a billion times across the planet. Like, fair play to him for trying to make some money off it, but he had to live up to this version of himself that literally did not exist. Yeah. And did you ever happen to watch any like the skit videos they I, all did? I did not. If you want some cringe, folks, oh, if you want some top tier fucking cringe, like some, I'm gonna say like the uh, like the moet of cringe. I'm, I'm talking like Dom Perignon <laughs> levels of quality on this cringe. Like go watch the skit videos all those mean people try to do. And that is just quintessential what I'm trying to avoid in my career. I never want to get to a point where I'm like, that's the, I think we'll know this if I ever have to start releasing videos of like um, uh, reaction videos. Oh, to old stuff because one of the videos I want to make for the side channel is do I still laugh at Doggo Force oh right okay yeah because I think we literally mentioned that in one video one video I mentioned Doggo Force and I laughed my ass off at it and I want to say at least once or twice a week I'll have someone ask me to watch it if, I, if I've watched it or when we're streaming suggesting it as something to put in the background mm, yeah and I had no idea that was such a big part of my identity online it was to the point where I think when we did the live event, someone came up with it on their phone and put it in my face and went, "What do you think of this? Do you still laugh at this?" I went, "That was that was four years ago." God. So one of the videos I'm going to do is like, "Do I still laugh at Doggo Force?" And the answer is, spoilers, no, I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not the same person I was four and a half years ago. And I'm, I I think as well, what we should do is just continue the loop of like. I will then go watch your video and react to that. <laughs> you can then get Brad and Nisha to start reacting to those, and like we'll just keep it in a loop forever. Just keep it going, then I'll react to your reaction yeah, of it. We'll yeah. keep that going. <laughs> but that's like one of the things I want to do. Of um, uh, but in an alternate timeline, it'd be me, and I would do like a really fake laugh of it, of like going crazy, of like, yeah, this is what people people know that I laugh and lose my shit at this video. I'm going to keep lo- laughing and losing my shit at this video. Yeah. 
And that's one of the ones that I like. Because I think when we did the live event, there were multiple people during that. I'm like, put Doggo Force on, put Doggo Force on. It's like, it's, it, mate, that was three years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. You're not allowed to get away with it. You're not You're not allowed. But you are defined by this one interaction that you had years ago. And that is just why I I wouldn't want that life of like you wouldn't want that okay so what would be the um, the ideal situation for you I don't know to just like be able to like get by I guess and just like have a, a, a small group of people or smallish group of people be fans but like not get to that point where like people would recognize me on the street per se Oh, okay. And just continue, like, make just a s- videos for a smaller but dedicated audience. So, Lucas, you're describing what's happening now. Yeah, like, this, this <laughs> that's, that's the now. thing is, like, if I would like to kind of do it this way and just, you know what, I'm happy with not being the biggest YouTuber on Earth with, like, 20 million fucking subscribers, well, 100 That'd million subscribers or whatever, and, like, no one seeing me as a human being anymore. It's like, I think that would be just nasty. Yeah, because I've I, I just briefly touched upon that. That's something I have to deal with, and it's a baffling thing to me, like, especially when it's cause you, you can never tell what things are going to resonate with people most, and that seems to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, of like the doggo force thing, and when I think back, cause I remember it, I got asked it so much. I looked, how long ago was that video? And it was like two, three years. And yeah. It's still something I get mentioned to me every single week. So that must have been like a moment that sticks in a lot of people's heads. But it's not even something I recall. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine how weird it is for them to mention it to me. Be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because in their head, that's one of like the most memorable things I've ever done. And for me, it's like, what? Well, we get it a lot with um, people coming into like streams and stuff and just being like, oh yeah, um, watch your favorite video or favorite moment from a video. And when we kind of respond, I don't really know. A lot of the time, they'll pull out something that I didn't even remember. Is like, oh well, this is my favorite thing that I've seen you do. You guys do. I'm like, I didn't even remember we did that. I don't. So the thing I don't remember the conversations that we had. I remember more the facts that were in them because that's um, uh, what my mind is uh, more attuned to recall. Mm-hmm. That's uh, been a fun one for me. So that's one of the videos I'm going to make. Is like, do I still laugh at Doggo Force? It's going to be me just going, huh. And then I'm going to use it as a, a, a jumping off point to talk about how, like, I am a rounded person with a personality. Because I wanted to use it as, like, I'm going to do the bit. And then when I have, like, the five minutes at the end talking about how, like, look, I get that people like these moments. But they they may have defined your version of me, like, the version of me you see in your head. But for me, it was, like, one moment years ago. And it's really, really, like, not upsetting, but frustrating to have to deal with this every day. So if you could, please stop thinking of me as this one-note caricature that exists online. I don't know what you mean, Carl. You're not a real human being. I'm talking to an AI right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to imagine that a lot of people are going to be annoyed about that video when I make it because mm-hmm. they're going to be expecting like me to lose my shit and it's going to be 30 seconds of like me not laughing at it and then me talking about, look, this is actually a really toxic way of thinking towards a creator because you're... Um, creating a version of myself in your head that does not exist and you're setting yourself up for disappointment when you do interact with me. Yeah. And I, that's probably not going to... But you know what? Untitled side channel, I can make what I want and that's one something I want to say. <laughs> and that, that's the thing is I just... Yeah, I would quite like to, as I say, just be able to get by and make content that I want and I just 
I, I never want to get to a point where, oh, random people see me as a meme and not as a human being. That'd be awful. So, just one day, I think we all need to sit down and watch those videos that those guys made. What like, they are a lesson in how not. Oh, that the meme people there. made, right? Yeah. yeah. They are a lesson in how not to capitalize on your success. Mm-hmm. It's like you never lean in that hard. You never do the 100% lean in. Because you know those things of like the moment, like Joe, when the, it reminds me of when companies use um, slang or memes. And the moment that it becomes self-aware, it starts being funny or something you want to talk about. And as well, they're always so slow on the ball. Oh, years later, yeah. Like this, I want to say this was like five, six years after any of them were popular. But like and companies like they did. are always so far behind the trends. Like you'll see, you know, if like a promoted tweet comes up in your timeline and you're like, the fuck is someone using that old meme for? It's like, oh, it's a company thinking that they're trying to be, you know, on top of... Yeah social trends when they're actually two years behind it's always the way of like it oh my god every time they like the the channel tries to be you know with it with the times it just comes across as so fake and so out of touch that it's it's jarring like it takes you out of that that doom scroll oh lucas Oh no. What? Oh no. <laughs> no. What? Oh, I'm just going to say. Like, I'm just going to send you something. Okay. Right. Oh no. What's happened? <laughs> oh no. Oh, this is. No, oh, this is like the most depressing thing. Oh, Welcome no. to the official YouTube for bad luck. Brian. Lucas, click it. Please click it. Bringing your favourite memes to life. Don't click on anything else until you click that page and tell me what you see. We're going to do that game again where you describe everything you see. Am I going to the about section? or You're on the about section, yeah. Okay, so official YouTube channel for bad luck, Brian. Bring your favourite memes come to life. And then contacts... Um, I'm not gonna say his email address that like, and then it's yeah. hashtag NFT, and I think all those mean people did make NFTs, and you know what? They're the few people I think get away with doing fucking NFTs. I mean, their their image entire got fucking... life for ten years where people were making fun of that one picture of you. I think you should capitalize on that one JPEG. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's like if people are gonna share that image a million times, and I think a lot of those all did make their money. Mm-hmm doing so well they made like a little bit of money from it but lucas now so this is a, a meme page oh, it's a page for videos for bad luck brian it's, it is the guy because he's got like his nft and it's got links to his official twitter and all that stuff bringing Go cl- your favorite memes come to life which doesn't even make sense as a sentence click on videos and there are two yeah. videos <laughs> two videos totaling <laughs> 45 seconds between the two of them and it's bad luck, Brian, not today. And then happy Father's Day, Johnny, where they clearly, like, someone sent them a bit of money to make a YouTube video saying hello to, to like, their dad. Yeah. And that's it. Luke, this... Oh, I... That is... Oh, the levels of just secondhand cringe I'm getting from this. And that means... Are palpable. 
that oh my god essentially what happened was a year ago bad luck brian uh he took one 21 second video on youtube thinking it would be a viral. massively viral start to his youtube channel he got eight thousand views and then he, he gave up do you know what I think it is? I think it's just when Joe you know, all that NFT shit was kicking off, and like I mentioned, all those mm-hmm. mean people all made NFTs of themselves. He, they were all convinced to do it, and just he's the one who doubled down the hardest. Yeah. Like, oh my god, that is so fucking depressing. Oh dear. It makes it worse because like one of the people that he's subscribed to is uh, Liana or Lina and she's like the overly attached girlfriend person. Oh, right. She, okay. did, she did quite well. And like her last video is uh, just her not making videos anymore two mm. years ago. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, fair enough. She seems to have made her money and got out and mm. I feel most bad for her because like she just, her whole thing sounded like it was a screenshot of like a video she recorded like a decade ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it just got this character attached to it of the overly attached girlfriend. And that's not what she was like at all. But she had to lean into that character because that's how people knew her. Yeah, yeah. And she like it was seemingly quite successful as um, just like a vlogger and stuff like that. But you can see that she's got an overly attached girlfriend playlist. And it's just these awful skits. And you know you can just tell in her head she hated making them. But by the way, she's got a couple million views with them. Yeah. And she did. She did all right. Yeah. But that bad luck, Brian. One I can't because I just stumbled across that. And Joe, you heard me going like, "Oh no!" That's when I clicked like the channel and saw the two videos, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh no, no, oh no!" That that might be one of the worst moments I've ever had, Lucas. I mean, that one's particularly bad. I get, you know trying to to just you had that 15 minutes of fame and people try to cling to it but the idea that it's like well 10 years later i made one 20 second video that you know didn't do as well as i thought on youtube and gave up lucas did you click the page for his nfts no i just like click on the uh the nft bit oh no 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 why would you make me click on like, nft click, shit click, carl why would you make click, me do click this click on his website Oh no, the bored apes! No, he's got a bored ape, and he's got him in the Joker on the Joker steps. Mm, of course. Uh... It's like I lost all respect for them the moment it's like oh the bored ape thing. It's what it should have been is I'm selling a single NFT, and I'm selling the one meme picture that I. Had. Yep. That's it. That one you know picture. Who did that? The girl, the overly attached girlfriend. Mm, yeah, that's what she did. She just made that image and she screenshot it. And it's that thing of like anyone could have screenshot and sold it, but the fact it's being sold by her, yes, kind of gives it more value. And like we all know, NFTs have no real value, but I think the people who've like had their like lives turned upside down by these things, they should at least make a little bit of money from it. Well, I believe um, the girl. Had like the 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 one with like the burner house in the background where she looks evil. Mm-hmm. I believe she did come out and say like, well, you know, 
I was a kid, so I don't even look like that. So I don't generally get recognised. But also... It's my picture. It, no, no. I was going to say, like, she also said, like, it gave her enough money to end up buying, like, a deposit on a house or something. So she was, you know what? It helped set me up for the future. And as we talked about earlier, that's not exactly the the easiest thing yeah. to do anymore. So that's probably the healthiest way to look at it. Of like, and I think the overly attached girlfriend, like, she had arguably a much worse time of it because the character attached to her is one that is very sexist. It's a really sexist, to... toxic personality that is attached to that idea behind the picture. That's a lean into it for many years. She's seemingly doing all right with that. And the other one that I remember is, do you ever remember, it's like Success Kid? And it's like the little kid doing like a little fist pump. I recently saw like he turned around him and like, oh, it's my 18th birthday or whatever and copied the picture. Yeah. uh, The story behind that one is really funny because the kid wasn't even sorry, he was eating a handful of sand. (laughs) And like an early example of this is his mum. I think his dad needed like heart surgery or something like that. Just used that as the GoFundMe picture Mm -hmm. of success kids. Dad needs heart surgery. And because it was a meme, a bunch of people donated money to it. And it's like, yeah, well, okay, that that and that's what the example that's the level of like, okay, it's your face and you're the one who's had to deal with this shit. For you can abuse it in any way you want. Yeah. You can like take advantage and milk this shit for all it's worth. But I think that bad little Brian one, that's that's just left such a sour taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Of like it's not even milking it because there's nothing left. There's nothing to milk. It's like that sad last breath before he died. Like obviously he's not dead. Don't wish a harm upon the guy, but yeah, it's like just that last little attempt of like. What reminds me is, are you familiar with the wrestler Virgil? Virgil. Are you familiar with the wrestler called Virgil? I'm familiar with the Devil May Cry character. Okay, well, there was a wrestler many years ago called Virgil, and basically, he like these memes had a very short-lived time in the spotlight Mm -hmm. but he's been clinging to that for decades and you get he's infamous now amongst wrestling fans for going to wrestling shows and no one wants to talk to him but he insists that they do and you get images like this Lucas and I'd like to describe it to the folks at home oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's him at a convention like his own table where he's clearly meant like signing autograph pictures or something mm-hmm. and just a big banner behind him like Virgil wrestling superstar and he is the only person in sight of the picture that yeah. there's not one person wanting to come and see the guy yeah and like it's, this is he's the real life equivalent of these mean people it's, and it started like it's a meme in of itself just called like Lonely Virgil and it's people going to wrestling shows and just seeing him sat on his own and then the other picture you sent where he's not even in the convention hall, he's just sat on a street. Because he wasn't allowed inside. The- yeah, it's like he didn't even manage to get inside the hall anymore. It's just, is it Ted Diabassi? Uh, million Dollar Man, yeah. He was like his uh, sidekick or something like that. And Virgil, WWE superstar. And not superstars, which is weird, you know. Could have put both of them. But yeah, um, just that, where he's just sitting on his own like, yeah, come, come and get a, a side picture. And just nobody. Yeah, and that's the thing. That is the uh, the real life equivalent of like these videos. And I struggle to think which one's sadder. And I like when I googled uh, just Virgil wrestler. One of the top pictures that come up is just presumably not been photoshopped. It was just 
Virgil in 2015 tweeting, I'm the black Steve Jobs. <laughs> so, oh, dude. Dude. So he's got his own Twitter account, which is called Lonely and Virgil. I don't know whether you saw it, Carl, speaking of wrestling. Okay. Did Go you see it. the highlight Logan Paul's of... a wrestler now. No, I was going to say, did you see the highlight of the last WrestleMania show? I saw it was like... Uh, I, saw, I know Logan Paul was part of it, but I don't care about WWE. And is it... Is this the one about a 75-year-old Vince McMahon getting Stone Cold Stunned? Or not Stone Cold Stunned. It was like the lamest Stone Cold Stunner. Okay, I only saw the headline of like 75... Like, Steve Austin beats up 75-year-old boss. Barely. Barely. To the point where like afterwards you see Steve Austin essentially just breaking character and pissing himself laughing because he knows how bad that must have looked. And, That's great. Oh, it's great. It's just both of them, like, stumbling Steve around. Steve like, in his 50s. Yeah, that's the thing. And Vince McMahon's, like, yeah, as you say, like, in his 70s, I think. And Vince McMahon essentially just crumbles before the stunner can even happen. And then Steve Austin is trying to improv around this, like, old man just trying to not fall to the ground. Oh. And it's like, oh, no. Like, you need to let these wrestlers Speaking retire. Of- yeah, speaking of just desperately clinging to like relevance and, and I, the way things used to be, Vince McMahon is up there because like. But the thing with Vince know, like, McMahon is like I think that it's like that he doesn't want to get out the ring. I don't even think that's like, it. Yeah, it's, it's it's that. Yeah, the Steve Austin thing of constantly bringing about like these nineties wrestlers and eighties wrestlers and stuff. Like all of those bits are get yeah, you clearly just. You still don't have anyone with the the fame that Steve Austin has. It's not even that that he did have that. And uh, with wrestling, I'm probably gonna get some details wrong here, but like with WWE, Vince McMahon owns all of that outright. Mm-hmm. He is 100 percent in control of everything they do, and he is infamous for basically what he says goes. Yeah, yeah. And he micromanages every aspect of that industry. And he will, like, if storylines he doesn't like them or if people go off script, he will fire them on the spot. Right, And there are stories from people who've, like, they've got their script, they'll go out and they'll do their bit and they'll change it ever so slightly. I think Cody Rhodes, very famously, became one of the first wrestlers to, like, use Twitter. Mm. And he got a million followers on Twitter. He was, like, one of the most followed people on Twitter. And he was just a wrestler. Just he was funny. And he'd, like, shit talk other people on Twitter. Yeah, and that was part of his character. And Vince McMahon fucking hated it. And I think Cody Rhodes went and started AEW, which you've probably heard is like the competitor to it, mm-hmm. which is yeah. way better than WWE because they actually let wrestlers forge their own personalities and highlight new talent instead of old ones. Yeah, yeah. And I think Cody Rhodes is rumored to be going back to WWE now because the money—it's it's a whole thing. But Vince McMahon is like he's single-handedly holding wrestling back because he refuses to let any new talent come up. Right. Yeah, and I think. Maybe it was Cody Rhodes that came back in the last WrestleMania. Maybe that's there. What, we go. What happened? Yeah, I heard somebody the, came back. The allure of all that money, mm-hmm. that billion dollar company. But yeah, Vince McMahon, you were one hundred percent right. He doesn't want to get out of the ring. He's still insistent that he can do it, and he's like, I can still do it. I can still like you know keep toe to toe with these young ones. Like he could ten years ago. Yeah, like you know, fair play to him to have kept it up that long, but. 
Like, it looks like, good for 76. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna send you that like 20 <laughs> second YouTube clip because you right. need to see how bad it gets. I only saw like the headline of the picture. And it's just like oh, so that's, like, that's so a seven that's a seventy year old man. The fact he's even like up in the, the fucking wrestling ring is impressive, but it's just let it go, man. Let it go. And people are labeling it as like probably the last Stone Cold Stunner that is ever gonna be performed. <laughs> It's just What's the thing though? It looks like two people play fight him. It, it looks like two drunk grandpas in the back garden. Like, yeah, like, I, I used to. I can give you a stunner. I used to wrestle, you know. Because <laughs> that's the thing, the Stone Cold Stunner. It's a really stupid wrestling move. Like, it it's never worked in real life. It's a but, really, really basic move to pull off as well. Yeah, but it's, it's Steve it's, Austin it, that sells it. it. No, it was no. It's always the person who got hit that sold it. Well, what I mean is like you know. Steve Austin just selling it as like oh yeah the personality behind I'm I'm gonna give you the Stone Cold Stunner yeah it was always a move 100% sold by the reactions to it like I remember back in like the Attitude Era people get hit by the Stunner and they would like flip over when they landed on the mat yeah and it was incredible it's similar to like you know the the Rock doing the people's, the elbow. people's elbow it's just an yeah. elbow drop but the the build-up and the performance around it is what sells that move. Like, and then people getting hit by it and they act like they've been shot. And it's like... <laughs> yeah. So do you ever remember, like, speaking of, like, old wrestling, just, like, old wrestling was so fucking stupid. Remember when, like, Hulk Hogan died, quote-unquote, in the ring and Randy Savage brought him back by elbow-dropping him? <laughs> do we say they're doing CPR? Randy Savage just elbow-dropped him from a top turnbuckle to wake him back up? You know why, Carl? Because the cream always rises to the top. It does. The thing is, they need to bring back that era of wrestling where we all know it's fake and it's never been more clear it's fake now, but for some reason, it's they try to make it more realistic now than they did back in the 80s where they insisted that it was real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, remember, like, Kane's walking in and they were like, no shit selling Kane as being a zombie yeah. and stuff. And it's like, like- it's not fake. Undertaker actually coming back from the dead. Like, as a kid, I remember, like... I used to think it was real. Yeah. Oh, my God, this man actually came back from the dead. It's like, no. No, I know it's not real, but I wish that they would lean more into the theatrics of it. Mm -hmm. So, did you ever hear that, like, great theory someone had about how you keep the Undertaker... Like, the character alive. Like, the act, like the guy who does him, right, he still wrestles every now and then. But it's like, he's, like, 70-odd. Like, let him retire. Mm Mm-hmm. They said what they should do is just have The Undertaker during a match soul transfer into another wrestler and then make The Undertaker a mantle that's passed down. And just bring in a younger wrestler to become The Undertaker again. But it's like the the guy who plays him, like, well, I don't want to give it up. I'm The Undertaker. To be fair, like, you could even call him, like, The Undertaker-taker. Oh, just, and it's that thing of, like, it's the ego of, like, no one could be The Undertaker but me. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, but it's such a cool gimmick, and it's one of the most famous in wrestling. And I still just... I I, I get the whole wanting to commit to, like, that one character, but I think mm. if I was a wrestler, I would much rather go down, like, the route of uh, Mick Foley. Of, no, like just become a public speaker. Well, no, I was going to say, as a wrestler, he was, like, seven different characters. Oh, he loved it. Undertaker's been a lot of characters. He was like the dead man, and then he was like the biker. And then he became yeah, like a World of Warcraft character. He's been like the Undertaker, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. All but under the guise of the Undertaker, bit. and he's he's changed with the times, but he's always... Or not always, I know. He, 
like up until the point where he found the gimmick of the Undertaker, he was obviously trying yeah. out different characters as they all do. But when the Undertaker hit, he never let go of that that name, that branding. Whereas I, I love Mick Foley, who just fuck it, I'm Cactus Jack now. Fuck it, I'm Mankind yeah. now. Like, do you remember where he entered the Royal Rumble three times as each of his different personas? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's the kind of shit I want back from wrestling. Yeah. I'd start watching wrestling again tomorrow if they started doing shit like that again. Um, like the only one who seems to have any fun is like Gold Dust, where Gold oh, Dust yeah. became Darth Maul. <laughs> Do you remember that? Wait, what? <laughs> just Google Gold Dust. Okay. The wrestler and look at his newest costume. Because he's just Darth Maul. So you got gold dust, oh, aren't you? So, so he... is this now where he's like the black and red? Yeah. Oh my god. Like, and when he started, he went from having like the the big theatrical wig and all that stuff to like now he just wears like leather and paints his spikes on his face. So he's yeah. just Darth Maul now. And we need more shit like that in wrestling. We need to bring it all back. I th- I like as well that in this picture he's only half painted himself, which is is that just that. He got really bored of having to gold himself up entirely every time. Maybe. And I think he is, speaking of Cody Rhodes, I think that's his dad. Like, that's Cody Rhodes' dad. Yeah, he's like, it's like Dusty a wrestling Rhodes. Dennis. That's it, yeah. Oh, when we find the one here, we've got, we've got Darth Maul. Because it looks even funny as well when, like, because Gold Dust, like, he's clearly, you know, an in shape dude, but yeah, he's like. Yeah, yeah. He's in his 50s or something, so he just looks a little bit paunchy. Mm-hmm. So it makes it look even funny when people are scared of him. <laughs> but I've got this one. Like, look at this fucking Darth Maul. This Darth Maul looking motherfucker coming in. Like, would you not be scared of this man? <laughs> oh, it's taking a while to it go. It is, but, yeah. Like, what was your favourite then wrestling gimmick from back in the day? Because I loved Kane's thing of being a zombie or being dead. Mm, yeah, yeah. I love that, like, when the, him and The Undertaker teamed up and it was, like, Brothers of Destruction. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that one. There he is, look at Darth Maul. I, uh, I, I guess, like, I was less of a fan of... Uh, well, I kind of was and wasn't, but, like, I did like the gimmicky wrestlers, but I think a lot of my uh, favourites were just, you know, like, the tag partners and stuff, like, I always liked the Hardy Brothers and stuff like that. Ta- that, that was a gimmick, though, wasn't it? They were, like, um, you know, the extreme... Yes, like the TLC yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, but they didn't go as hard as like Gold Dust commits to a bit. You know what I mean? There's still a gimmick though, and they it did is, commit yeah. to like the Hardy Boys of like the their they like when they were stacking ladders on top of tables yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> that was a gimmick in itself, and that member like that was a great era of wrestling. When it's like there was just that one, specific, and I, I want to say it's all perfectly encapsulated in the game. Um, the SmackDown versus Raw takes the pain. Which is, I contend, the last great wrestling game and the best roster they've ever had because it still has all the wrestlers from the Attitude Era, mm. but then it has Brock Lesnar on the front. Oh, uh, right, yeah. So yeah. it's like it's got all the old wrestlers from the Attitude Era, but then it's got just the first cusp of those new ones. So it's of before like John John's... Cena. Oh, okay. Is it before John Cena? Before Cena's John Cena, like Randy Brock Orton. Lesnar. I think Randy Orton's in it as well, yeah. Mm. But it's before Randy Orton, it's before he was the legend killer, and it's when he was the Cobra. Oh, if you remember man, that, I don't remember that. When he had his cobra gimmick, where he'd like lie on the floor and pretend to be a snake. <laughs> and I still say Randy Orton has another great gimmick, where his gimmick was he'd always pretend to be dead, 
and then he stands up at the last second and like um, KOs you. Mm. And the, the most one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in wrestling. Where I think a guy did like a swan tom bomb, and while the guy's in midair, Randy Orton stands up and then just fucking stunners him, <laughs> <laughs> and then pins him. Oh, that's great. That's what I missed. I remember Block Lesnar as well. Like he's he didn't have a gimmick because they realised he can't talk. Oh yeah, because like, Paul talk, Heyman he's, had he's, to do all his talking for him, didn't he? He's got no charisma, and he's got similar a, to Kane, yeah. wasn't it? Of like Kane yeah. basically had no charisma, so he was just the intimidating figure with uh, Paul Heyman talking for him. It's the same thing with Brock Lesnar, where like he doesn't have a voice that matches his um, physique. Mm-hmm. I'll say he has like um, he's very soft spoken, like you know, Mike Tyson, and you listen to Mike Tyson's voice, and it sounds nothing like what Mike Tyson looks like. Yeah, yeah, he's like that, and. <laughs> They, in the game, they accidentally broke his stats. I remember this because like someone broke down Taser. Why is Brock Lesnar so good in Taste the Pain? And it turns out like everyone has a stat from one to ten, and then Brock Lesnar's go eleven. <laughs> oh dear! And like <laughs> I miss, I miss old wrestling. I do, and it sounds like in the new game, the one thing that um, sounded cool was. That they have like um, a you know kind of like a legends mode where essentially you're going through the career of Rey Mysterio's big fights and like recreating the moments and stuff, oh, and so then they're like all good. as you recreate the moment, it starts that like it'll like apparently seamlessly go into the video of the the moment being performed and stuff. It's like that sounds like problem- fun. The problem with all those wrestling games is is that they focus too much on simulation. So they take they are slow and glacial in their pace. Whereas like the old games, like I'll I have to boot it up for like a rough on replay, so I taste the pain. It's so fucking fast. Well, I was about to say it's the so fast. Exact same thing for like I've got WCW versus NWO Revenge on the N sixty four. And it's like, so fast. That one and um No Mercy, like WF No Mercy people hold up like really like as being great on the n64 a lot of people have like mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgia for the n64 wrestling game so we should definitely go back and try a few of them yeah it's because they were arcade it's the same engine they used for um def jam fight for new york mm-hmm. remember though like those def jam games where it's super arcadey and fast and snappy whereas they like move more towards simulation and they start putting stuff like oh when you grab someone you got like going to like hold challenges and stuff. it's like no i want to press a button and do a move mm-hmm so I want to press a button and do a choke slam. I remember how, like that there was the Def Jam. Is it Vendetta or something on the 360 that was awful? No, it was Def Jam Icon. Oh, Icon was it? Was yeah. That it, it, again, it went away from being arcadey and over the top and outlandish to being more a simulation game. Mm-hmm. And it got the gimmick they had in that, which could have worked if they'd have like. And it's something I want to see kind of brought back in another game, which is. The music system where the entire arena goes in time with the beat of the song that's playing. Right. So you'll have like speakers in the background, and if you fight in time with the music, you do more damage. Okay, but so the, the it almost was, becomes could, like a rhythm fighter. Yeah, but you could put your own music in the game, <laughs> and it would detect the beat of it. And I'm like, that's something that should come back, mm-hmm. but for a better game. Yeah, yeah, that that game was not good. A rhythm-based fighting or a, a fighting game where rhythm plays a part of it. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that, and that's the one as well where like it didn't have any fun people in it. Yeah, yeah. 
But I think we've been talking about right. I'm just now getting so hyped for wrestling. I'm gonna go fucking boot at like, for our next rough on replay, Lucas. We're doing death. We're doing taste the pain and death jam fight for New York. Fuck it, we're doing it. <laughs> I'm bringing we're bringing it back. But yeah, you got anything you would like to plug in addition to the the Patreon and the Untapped Side Channel, which are linked below. But anything you'd personally like to plug? Uh, yeah, people can just check me out and follow me on Twitch. Um, you know. Regular nights are like Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and it's just Legend of Kanto on Twitch. Link is below again. Mm-hmm. And then for myself, just twitch.tv forward slash Carlswood. And then the Untitled Side Channel stuff as well, where you, in about a month or so, you might see me and Lucas whooping each other's ass at Wu... Uh, not Wu... I keep saying I want to say Wu-Tang Taste the Pain. But you do have that Wu-Tang I do game. have Wu-Tang Taste the Pain. So we could do like Wu-Tang Taste the Pain and Smackdown Here Comes the Pain <laughs> as a double feature, if you like. Uh, we could call it Smackdown, Here Comes the Pain, or Wu-Tang Brock Lesnar Edition. Wu-Tang Brock.